I would uh, encourage you, I, I know verses can be nice to pick out, but I've been noticing, I've noticed this since I became a pastor, that there's a lot of theology just built on phrases in the Bible that don't mean what people will say they mean because they just pulled it right out of the Bible. I would encourage you, if you're going to read the Bible, and I hope you do, <laughs> to read big sections of it, get context, understand, try to understand what, what are we talking about, what is the Lord talking about, and, and don't go so much to the Bible to hear maybe what you think you already know, or go to the Bible to get something just for you. Go to the Bible to get something from God. Learn what He said, because that's, that's, that's what's important. What you need is what God said about something. And so that said, Luke chapter 9, I, I wasn't going to go this way this morning. I had a whole other thing planned. Um, but it's... it's uh, it just this is this is where we're going to go. So Luke chapter nine, there's a there's a big introduction to this, and then there's the application is is kind of small, so or at least very distinct and, and direct. I know we love we love the uh, the Lord is my shepherd type idea. Uh, that's actually that's actually a psalm. One of the things that's said in there is that he, he leads me. David said this, and, and Psalm 23 is like, it's like the, the voice of the sheep. Lord's my shepherd, he leads me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil, things like that. I mention that because in, in Luke 9, Jesus Christ is about to go to Jerusalem for the last time. It's not necessarily in chronological order the way Luke does this. Um, but uh, sometimes there's a few things that in different order, but Luke 9 is a record of Jesus Christ kind of final uh, things before going to Jerusalem. And, and he understands going to Jerusalem means he's going to, he's going to be there until he's arrested and essentially killed on a cross and he knows that and he's been trying to explain this to the disciples uh, and in this chapter what the one principle that you need to take home with you the thing that the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to drive home and then Luke as the author recording these events and putting together various groups that followed Jesus Christ, but sometimes they followed for the wrong reasons. Sometimes they're, they're there for their own, their own benefit, um, or they're, they're just there because, you know, whatever the reason is, in this chapter, Jesus Christ is going to explain what following Him means and why you won't do it. And so there's several things that we could just pick apart and say, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, that's a big event. We could just preach on the feeding of the 5,000. 
Um, we could we could talk about uh, denying yourself, things like that. There's there's all these things that are recorded by Luke, but when I read the whole chapter, it really just boils down to if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you have to first follow Him to the cross. That there's, there's not a way to get around that. And this is the thing He's trying to tell His disciples. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And, and saying that, and it says a couple times that it just kind of went over their heads. They, they, they didn't really believe that aspect of His ministry. But if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, this is where following Him takes you. It takes you to a cross first. And then all the blessings of God would emanate from that cross. That's, that's where the God would be satisfied, where the Father would be satisfied. That is where three days later, Jesus Christ would be, he'd be resurrected and, and the Father would give assurance to all men that this is the man that pleased God by his resurrection from the death, from, from the dead. And so in Luke chapter 9, I'm going to go through a lot of this pretty quickly. And the question at the end is going to be, and why you need to, a way you need to examine your own life and ask the question, why won't I follow him? And Jesus Christ is going to give three reasons why people aren't going to follow him. Why he's going to end up at the cross with, uh, you know, maybe a couple of ladies there, his mother, and, and just there's not going to be any of these people he's talking to there. Maybe John's there. And so that, that's going to be the, the sort of conclusion of this or the application of it. But let's go through this and see, because I think it's valuable to see when you read the Bible, how and why these things are put together the way they are. It's not just, uh, you know, we're going to record an event here or record an event here. We're going to record an event here. Here's what Jesus did here. Here's what Jesus did here. Luke is explaining, or the Holy Spirit through Luke, is explaining a storyline, a theme of following Jesus. So here's, let's, let's dig in with these verses. So verses 1 through 6. Essentially, Luke 9, verses 1 through 6, Jesus sends out apostles to find followers. He gives them particular abilities and he sends them out and says, go and wherever you're received, if you're received, then I'll be received. And if you're not received, essentially shake the dust off your feet and go. So he doesn't spend a lot of time trying to hunt people down as far as making them follow. He's just looking for followers. And he sends out these men, and it's right after the harvest is, you know, white unto harvest. Go out and, and go, go find folks that are willing to follow me. So this is verses 1 through 6. It's like a search for the followers. He calls his 12 disciples together, gave them power and authority over devils and cured diseases, verse 1. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. And he said unto them, take nothing for your journey. Neither stave, script, bread, money, uh, neither have two coats peace, and whatsoever house ye enter in, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, 
Shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. So he isn't trying to beg people to follow him. In fact, he gets much more critical of followers as the chapter goes on. First part, he's, he's go, go to these towns. If the people will receive you, then good. If they won't, then shake the dust off your feet. Move on. So there's a search for followers. That's, that's the big idea in the ver- first six verses here. Verses 7 through 9, you find out Herod, just as a note here, Herod's not a follower, but he's curious. He's, he's had John the Baptist beheaded, and he thinks Jesus may be John the Baptist again in, in some weird way, but he, he, he doesn't understand who Jesus Christ is, but he knows he's a... He's almost a, a bigger figure than, and he is, but in the culture, he's a bigger figure than John the Baptist was. And John was just a, I mean, he is something. He is something to behold. And Jesus Christ, now he's out preaching and, and, and miracles and things like that. And so Herod has this kind of morbid curiosity of who he is. But Herod's not a follower. He's not trying to follow. He's just kind of curious and he wants to know who, who Jesus is. And so he, if there's some time that he can, he can have Jesus come before him, and uh, he, he, would, he would be interested in that. He says in verse 9, Herod said, John, have I beheaded? But who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. But he doesn't desire to see him because he wants to follow him. He just got this morbid curiosity of who he is. And so Luke is, is kind of categorizing all of these folks who are either interested in Jesus Christ for one reason or another, but they're not really going to take the steps to go where Jesus Christ is going. So Herod's not not a follower. He just has this curiosity, verses 7 through 9. The next big chunk of Scripture in verses 10 through 17 deals with a famous event, feeding of the 5,000. It's in uh, maybe all the Gospels. I, I, I know it's in John. It's in Matthew. I think it's in Luke too. But um, famous event. And after after Jesus has been out, the apostles come back after apparently um, they're going to these towns. They come back and they come back with a lot of people. These people are kind of following and, and, and they've been around and just hanging around Jesus for a while now. And uh, Jesus sees that they're hungry and they're, they're far away from, uh, uh, from home and they're, they're uh, uh, just kind of wandering around with wherever Jesus Christ goes. And so he has them all sit down and he breaks bread, he takes the bread, he takes the loaves and fish, he breaks the bread and he distributes and he gives to the apostles and they pass it out to 5,000 people. 5,000 men it says, there may be more, but 5,000 is what it says. And so this is the feeding of the 5,000. And you, you would think, okay, that's a good gesture of, of companionship. He's going to feed these people. They're, they're with him. They're, they're obviously with him. What's not said in these verses is what John records. That after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus kind of ratchets down a little bit and says, you're only following me because you're hungry. 
You're only following me because I can give you food. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not with me. And he says that to make a point. It's not literally if you're a cannibal and you literally drink Jesus' blood, you're right with God. That's not what he's talking about. He'll explain it later, but he does make these statements that are kind of, kind of, I don't know, they're kind of off-putting and they're, they're just, they're just uh, they sound harsh. But he makes this statement, Luke doesn't record it, but John does. And when he makes this statement and sort of clears, the, clears out the people, says, look, you guys are following me for the wrong reasons. You have a belief that's not, it's not the right kind of belief. It's not a belief that I accept. It's not a belief that God the Father accepts. You're, you're just crowding around because you want more food. And so he makes this statement, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not, you're not part, of, part of what I'm doing. And at that, a lot of the people just start leaving. Like, who is this? We're not going to follow this cannibal. This, this is crazy. And he looks at his disciples and says, are y'all going to go too? So Jesus Christ is not interested in people following for the wrong reasons. He's not interested in people just hanging around and just, you know, either, either getting stuff from him and, and, and all that. He is, one thing I've noticed about Jesus Christ, he's, he is love and compassion, particularly on those who will trust him. But if people are following him for the wrong reasons, he doesn't seem to make any effort or real effort to go hunt him down. In fact, a lot of times he disperses them because he doesn't want them around. He doesn't want them confusing the message. The message is going to be, if you're going to follow me, you have to go to the cross because that's where I'm going. I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. So he feeds the 5,000, then he disperses them, saying, unless you eat my body, drink my blood. And then the disciples say, Peter's one of them that says, it's like, who, who are we supposed to go to? We know you're the Son of God. We don't understand what you're saying, but we know who you are. Where else are we supposed to go? And then Jesus explains. I'm not talking about eating like the, the Israelites ate man. I'm not talking about physically eating and consuming my flesh, and physically consuming my blood. He says, my words are meat. The things I say, that's food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So then Jesus Christ explains it to the, to the disciples that stick around and want to know what He's saying. They don't understand it. They don't understand what he's saying to, the, to this big audience, but what he's saying is deliberate. And it's, the point is to, to, to separate out people who are going to actually follow him versus people who are just hanging around for food or whatever else they're hanging around for. So he, he doesn't have any interest, again, in, in chasing these people down. He has an interest in not confusing the message here. We want the message to be preserved and it's going to be confused if all these people are following and allowed to continue to be with Jesus Christ for the wrong reasons. So then Jesus Christ says this, after the feeding of the 5,000, the dispersing then of the 5,000, 
in verse 18. I'll just I'll read a couple of these here. It says, And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked him, saying, Whom say the people say that I am? Whom say the people that I am? The answering said, John the Baptist, some say Elias, others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, this, You're the Christ, the Son of God. This, is, this was the conversation. You know, where are we going to go? Who else are we supposed to go to in John? Where he records that. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Remember, he's getting ready to head to Jerusalem, saying this, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be slain and raised the third day. So if you don't understand what is going to happen, Jesus Christ has explained it. I don't know how many times He's explained it now. But He explains it one more time to the disciples because His identity is tied with what He's about to do. I'm tied with Isaiah 53 like we read in Sunday school. It's tied with the, the grief of the nation, the sins and iniquity of the nation. And so all, all, uh, he, he's about to lay down his life and be a satisfactory atonement. Really, it's more than atonement. It's a sacrifice and uh, a once and for all for the sins of the nation, but not just the sins of the nation of Israel. You find out it's for the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And so when Jesus Christ asks, who are people saying that I am? He understands, and the disciples are supposed to understand that His identity as Messiah is tied to what He's about to do. He's about to go to Jerusalem, suffer, and die. And so He says that just as much. And then He goes on to say this, And He said to them all, verse 23, he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. If you're coming after me for the food, you're, you're not going to make it. We're not going the same direction. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in the, his father's and of the holy angels. And he says, but I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And that'll happen. So he says... On the heels of, who do men say that I am? Well, you're the, you're, we say you're the Christ. So some people say you're an old prophet that's risen. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're Jeremiah. We say you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, well, that's who I am. And because that's who I am, I've got to go to Jerusalem and die. By the way, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. And so this is, this is continuing this thought here. Christ is the shepherd who must walk through death. That's what David says in Psalm 23. He says, 
The Lord is my shepherd. He leadeth me in one place. And he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. That is, that is following the shepherd through this shadow of death. Why? Because that's where the shepherd's going. And if you're going to follow the shepherd, this is where it ends up. This is where it goes. In verses 28 through 36, after, after Jesus has asked them who they say he is, they go to the Mount of Transfiguration, and there's this voice out of heaven. The Father says, this is, this is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And there's apparently Elijah and Moses there. Um, at least the, the Peter, James, and John see him, and they're there. And the Father's not pleased with them. He's pleased with the Son. And he says, listen to him. This, this is my Son. This is the one. This is the one to follow. The Father acknowledges the Son in verses 28 through 36, affirming that this is the one. This is the shepherd of your soul. Then there's an argument. There's a, uh, well, right before this, uh, this argument, there is, as they come off of this Mount of Transfiguration, there's a man and he's, he tried to get help for his son. Disciples couldn't help the son. And uh, Jesus just, in sort of uh, disgust, he just says, oh, faithless generation, what am I supposed to do? I keep telling them over and over, this is, this, is, this is what I have to do. The words of God have been present in this nation for years, and it's all led up to the seed becoming manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ being born into a body, and I mean, it, it being manifest as a man. It's all led up to this, and the nation... They're still struggling with what to believe about God. And he's just sort of in disbelief. This though faithless generation. What am I supposed to do? The, the people closest to me aren't even listening to what I'm saying. These people, these poor people coming with their, their, their kids messed up and, and they're, they, they know I'm the one to help them, but they just uh, say the disciples can't help, and it's like, what, am, what are we, what are we, what are we doing here? Christ's disappointment in this faithless generation—that's verses thirty-seven through about forty-two. There, verse forty-one, Jesus answering said, "O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither." Like I just. I, I don't know what else to do with you. I don't know what else to do. And, but everybody's got a theology about, they all got their verses, they've all got their idea about God. And none of it's about what God has actually said. That's why I said what I said at the beginning here. You and I need what God said. We don't need some, some verse that just applies to our little situation or we think applies to our situation. If God doesn't speak, we don't have help. 
Therefore, when He speaks, His words are the ones we need. And here's the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, faithless generation. What, do I, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And then with all the <laughs> all that uh, disbelief, the Bible says in verse 43, they were all amazed at the mighty power of God while they wondered everyone at all these things which Jesus did. He said unto his disciples, let these things sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. And what did they do? They understood not this saying. It was hid from them, for they perceived it not. And they feared to ask him of that saying. So yet again, he says, I'm going to die. Y'all are all excited about the healings and stuff like that, but if you're going to follow me, I'm going to a cross. That's where I'm going. Except a man deny himself, you know, take up his cross daily, you're not going to follow me. And that's not just um, for them over there. That's following Jesus Christ. So he says, yet again, Listen to what I'm saying to you. I'm going to a cross. I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And they don't understand and they don't want to ask him. Then they start in verses 46 through 48 arguing about who's the greatest disciple. After all this, who's the greatest disciple? You know who the greatest disciple is? the one that goes to the cross. That's the greatest disciple. So he says, all right, well, you want to, you guys are foolish for comparing, but if you want to be great, be the least. That's how you're great. Paul explains it in Philippians about the mindset of Jesus Christ who made Himself of no reputation. He says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So when you got these guys arguing about who's the greatest, who's, who, who, who cast out more devils, who's healed more people, who, who's the greatest, and Jesus, he just, he just puts all that stuff away and says, look, if you want to be great, you're going to have to be the least. You're going to have to yield. You're going to have to be humble. He points out the greatest is the least. Greatest is not the one that has the most or does the most or the greatest is the least. The one that's given the most to the cause of Jesus Christ, that's the greatest. The one that's given up the most, not the one that's done the most miracles, the most popular, or the one that has the best personality, that's not the greatest disciple. The one that's given the most to the cause of Jesus Christ and then they have this, this, you know, you can tell when they start, they start getting puffed up in this, in this whole conversation. You know, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, and they start pointing out people who aren't really with them. We saw this guy that was doing these things in your name, but he's not with us. So what should we do? Should we just call fire down? Maybe we should call fire down from heaven and kill him. 
I, I, it's scary because their thoughts are a lot of the thoughts that, uh, that I hear from Christians. They're not with us. Hey, it's not about being with you. It's about being with Jesus Christ. It's not about being on your team. It's about being with Jesus Christ's team. And so Jesus says, look, if, if they're not against us, they're for us. Quit being so critical. Quit being so judgmental. Quit, quit, quit making doctrines out of things that aren't, aren't really made, made to be doctrines. Quit using these doctrines to divide up people who are actually with Jesus Christ. But, but that's what people do. Man, they got, you know, denominations and divisions and divisions within denominations and splinters within splinters and splinters within splinters. Why? Because they don't like that and they don't like the color of that and they don't like how that sounds and they don't like the way you say that. Now you've got splinters and splinters and splinters and, and, and these disciples arguing. What should we do about them? Should, should we run them off? And Jesus says, no. Because if they're not against us, they're for us. And the point is about being on Jesus Christ's team. Being on God's team. Not being on your team. But that's their argument. What are we going to do with this guy? Verses 49 and 50. John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbid him, because he followeth not with us. Look, it's not about following you. It's about following Jesus Christ. And the bigger issue is, it's about following Jesus Christ to a cross. Jesus said unto him, verse 50, Forbid him not. He that is not against us is for us. Yeah, you're just too critical. Yeah, I understand it's going to be harsh about this self-denial thing. But that's, that's the thing you're going to have trouble with. I'm not trying to identify people who aren't on your team or whatever team you think you're on. So Jesus Christ condemns this unnecessary division. And what do they say? They talk, they, you use the word. That's the theme of this whole thing. They follow not us. Remember, it's all about following. Go find people who will follow. Go knock on to go, go, go out. And if the, if the people won't follow, shake the dust off your feet and leave. Look, look for people who will follow. And then and, and he feeds the 5,000. And he says, you're following me for the wrong reasons. So he disperses them. And they use that word. He, he doesn't follow us. What well, isn't about following you. So then, very end of this chapter. Start verse 51. Jesus Christ heads to Jerusalem. After all of this, he heads to Jerusalem for the final time to die. 51 says it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers before his face and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. 
they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. They thought he was going to keep going. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you're of. You're so critical. You're so critical. You don't understand. These, these people, they, they, they think I'm going to Jerusalem. That, they're, not, they're not opposed to me. They understand. And he explains it. Verse 56. First of all, you don't understand what spirit you're of. I would say you read the Bible in bits and chunks. And little scripture here and a little piece of a scripture here. You don't understand what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Who, as he's he's making his trek down to Jerusalem, these disciples they're they 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 been told multiple times we're going to die in Jerusalem. They get critical. They get comparative. And then there's three things that Jesus Christ encounters that really sum up the whole thing. Why you won't follow Him. And they come in this form at the end of the chapter. Came to pass, verse 57, that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto Him, Lord, I will follow Thee whithersoever Thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Why won't you get why won't you follow him? Maybe the cost is too much. You know, when when I'm afraid for us because if someone would say something like that to us, we would immediately take him in. Oh yeah, I want to follow Jesus anywhere. I want to follow Him anywhere. I'm going to follow you anywhere. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, let me give you a reason why you're not going to follow me. Because I don't have a home. And you're not willing to give that up. So you're going to stay in your place. And you're not going to go where I'm going. Because you're not willing to. Why? Because the cost is just too high. It's just too high. So Jesus doesn't just wrap his arms around him and say, oh good, I'm so glad I found someone who will actually follow me. He says, no, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to sleep. Do you still want to follow? He doesn't follow. The cost is too high. This this is, I, I, I imagine... You know, sometimes people get on an emotional high. They'll see things and they just, oh, yes, yes, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Yes, 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 I want to I do, follow Jesus. I'm, I'm a, I've heard good preaching and I just want to be in there. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Until the cost. It's like we're all good until there's a price to pay. We're all cool with doing whatever until there's a price to pay. And Jesus doesn't highlight the encouraging part of following Him. He highlights the negative part. 
I don't have a home. But I think you like your home. And that's why you're not going to follow me. I'm going to a cross. And you can't follow me there with this attachment and this emotional attachment to these things. The cost is too high. Just not considering the picture here. Cost of family. I think sometimes we want to soften the blow of some of this stuff. Look in verse 59. He said unto another, follow me. So there's an invitation. But this man said, he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. Go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Wow. I think we read stuff like this and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's troubling. I think it ought to be troubling, though. You want a real picture of Christianity? Maybe you don't like Christianity. Maybe, maybe what you thought was Christianity isn't really Christianity. And so when Jesus Christ says, let the dead bury their dead, you go preach the kingdom of God. What's this, this man saying? Well, the cost of family, it's, it's too much. I, 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 it's too, I'm too attached. I've got this stuff I, I want to take care of with the inheritances. I've got, I've got things I need to uh, uh, do with. And Jesus is okay. You can do those things. You're, you can do those things. But you can't do those things and follow me. You just have to make a decision. You're, you're, you're free to do whatever you want to with your family. But you just can't follow me and do those things. The cost is too high. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you have paid that price. And... and Hopefully it's encouraging. If it were easy, I mean, there wouldn't be a price involved in it. But you, you know, maybe you know exactly what Jesus Christ is saying here. There's a cost to this. First guy, the cost is just too much. Second guy, divided loyalty. He's got too many other, other good priorities. It's not that they're bad priorities. It's not that they're bad just they're not prioritized right. You just can't do both these things. You gotta have to figure out what you want to do. Divided loyalty to other good, you know, maybe good priorities. Let me stop doing this and then I'll follow. Let me let me get my house in order, then I'll follow. Let me let me do this thing and then I'll follow. Divided loyalty. You know, I think about. Uh, I don't know. I think about folks when when someone understands when someone understands their sin, they understand what Jesus Christ has done for them. They understand and and they want to they want to embrace Christianity. You don't really have to tell them what to do. I mean, there I get there's some things you have to instruct out of the Bible. You understand and they understand. They know Jesus Christ is my Savior. Jesus Christ is my shepherd. Jesus Christ is the one who I need to follow. 
You don't have to tell people stuff like that when they understand. They know. I think, you know, some of you, when you started actually getting fed from the Bible, probably no one had to tell you to go to church. You just knew, like, I just want to be fed. I just want food. I, I, I want spiritual nourishment. You don't have to be told to do this. Divided loyalty, though. That's this man. Let me first do this. Well, let me first do this. Okay, well, you can first do that, but you just can't do that and this. You got to pick one, you got to make a priority. Divided loyalty. And then the last one, kind of similar to the first. Verse 60 Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. Go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Family connection again there. You got divided loyalty. You got a cost that's just too high. You know what Jesus Christ is, is this conversation explains, explains the chapter. And the point is why you're not going to follow him. You're not going to follow him because the cost is too high. I'm not going to Jerusalem. I'm not, I'm not going to, to, to leave my possessions to follow Jesus Christ. Okay, take up your cross. If you're going to follow me, take up your cross, follow me. Well, I'm not going to leave my possessions. I'm not going to leave these things that are valuable to me to follow you. Okay, well, then you just can't follow me. Because what Jesus Christ is about to give up, He's about to give up everything, His life. Maybe it's divided loyalty. And, and, And not to bad ideas or bad priorities. It's just prioritized wrong. And I don't want to be that negative about it, but if you prioritize the right things in the right order, the Lord is for you having a good family. The Lord is for you being a good husband and a good wife and having good children. He's not for destroying people's lives, but you can't follow Jesus Christ having these things in priority above Jesus Christ. You just can't follow Him. Family connection. Let me first do this, the last one. you got divided loyalty. you got a cost that's too high. Jesus Christ says, I don't have a place to live. Well, I don't want to follow that. Divided loyalty, family connection. Jesus says, follow me. And the man says, well, let me first go say whatever I want to say to my family. Family connection. I've heard this said, and it's it's true. It's just true. I, I, I find very rare cases where it's not. Somebody said that blood is always thicker than the Bible. That's true. That's true. It's 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 when it comes down to it, do I choose what God said or I choose what my child wants or 
family wants and 99.9 times out of 100 I choose blood I choose family that's what people do and Jesus says look if you prioritize this over me you can't follow me not that not that not that loving your family is bad it's not bad it just can't be in that order that's the wrong order because you'll find when you go to the cross, all of these other spiritual blessings will be found there, but, but you got to get to the cross. And so Jesus Christ sums up, or Luke sums the whole thing up about following Him. Following the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's summed up nicely in the very end there with three reasons why people don't follow Him. The cost is too high. Divided loyalty family and again not that not that God wants you to have a bad family but you can't prioritize this over this and expect to follow Jesus Christ so Luke chapter 9 all of that to say introspectively examine yourself why aren't I following which one of these things keeps me from yielding to the voice of the Lord? Which one of these things is it? Or a combination of them? And Sam comes and plays a little bit on the piano, have a little time of meditation, think about what you've heard. And I'll be blunt with you. Maybe you hear these things and you find, I don't like Christianity as much as I thought I did. That's an honest answer. And I guarantee you, God appreciates an honest answer more than he appreciates somebody pretending to be honest about it. Sam plays a little bit. Think about what you've heard or what you've read. What you've heard from the lips of Jesus Christ about these things. Follow him. What keeps you from following him? What's more important to you?